0: It's September 10th, 2014, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll
1: cover a couple of local science and tech stories. We'll also share our quick thoughts on yesterday's Apple announcements.
0: Our news guests today include Helen Nakano, who will tell us about Saturday's Be Ready event in Manoa. Uh, then we have Liberty Peralta from PBS Hawaii to tell us about the HIKI NŌ NO Awards program. Finally, we'll talk with two clean energy experts,
1: Jeff, Jeff Mikulina and Rob Harris, about Hawaii's power grid and HIKO's latest plans to upgrade it. Have your questions and thoughts ready to call in or tweet, but first, the
0: headlines. Scientists aboard a University of Hawaii research vessel discovered what could be the remains of an ancient, extinct underwater volcano in the South Pacific, the Navy oceanographic ship Kilo Moana found the seamount while on a mission to map the seafloor along the U.S. continental shelf. The team was uh, was using multi-beam echo sounders and said the seamount appeared out of the blue. It was discovered about 186 miles from Jarvis Island, an unha- uninhabited 2.7-mile coral island situated near the equator, about 1,300 miles south of Hawaii. The
1: newly discovered seamount is estimated to be about 100 million years old, with a diameter of over 4 miles and rising about 3,500 feet off the seafloor. It is located within the U.S. Economic Zone, which means the U.S. has rights to any natural resources it might provide. At a depth of over 3 miles, though, it's so far underwater that it isn't hosting much marine life. That's in contrast to the actively erupting Loihi Seamount off Hawaii Island. But given its height and the influence that it will have on deep ocean currents, there may
0: still be interesting discovers discoveries around it. The Kilamoana is participating in the work of the U.S. Extended Continental Shelf Task Force, a multi-agency project to define the outer limits of the U.S. continental shelf, mapping an area of the Pacific Ocean that is one of the least explored of the Earth's oceans. Lead researcher James Gardner sent a statement, these seamounts are very common, but we don't know about them because most of the places that we go out and map have never been mapped before. And it's kind of interesting to see the, uh, you know, sort of the the images, the topographical images of this, because it does sort of rise out of the uh, bottom of the ocean, you know, like a big mountain. Mm -hmm. And you would think that Everything on the Earth is already mapped, but uh, obviously, you know, there are definitely places in the ocean that aren't mapped.
1: Yeah, and they're saying that satellites don't pick up a mm-hmm. feature like this as large as it sounds. Mm-hmm. It is actually s- small enough that it doesn't get picked up from space. And again, they're saying there are actually lots of these out there. We just haven't really mapped this area. They haven't named it yet. There already is a seamount called Kilo Moana, named after the UH research vessel. So I'm curious what name might be given to this particular feature. But uh, certainly, they're trying to understand what area the United States has jurisdiction. Over so
0: right, I'm I'm interested. I'm kind of uh, um, tickled by the fact that the, you know they did point out that they could probably mind that because it is within sort of the U.S. jurisdiction. Yeah, so he
1: said maybe in a hundred years we'll be interested yeah. in what they have. <laughs> Ongoing efforts to strengthen the pipeline between University of Hawaii research to commercial viability have a new resource with the launch of Accelerate UH. It's described as a proof-of-concept venture accelerator. Accelerate was launched last week at the UH Cancer Center, and the seven members of its first cohort were announced as well. The plan is to help build sustainable startups by offering training and mentorship and connecting them with the potential investors and business partners out there. Promising technologies could also receive financial support from the Upside Fund, which is a seed-stage venture fund out of the University of Hawaii Foundation.
0: The first cohort includes LiveSIF, which uh, provides interactive information during events, and SmartTummy, which makes mannequins to support medical training. Uh, Flywire, meanwhile, makes high-definition cameras, and Infrasound focuses on detecting natural and man-made disasters. Uh, Diagenetics makes low-cost portable hardware to detect pathogens, Cosmos Company makes software for spacecraft operations, and Innovative Optics is building large optics technology. Each will be eligible for up to $170,000 in seed capital, one of the largest funding awards available locally.
1: Cohort participants must first complete a training program built in conjunction with the Pacific Asian Center for Entrepreneurship, or PACE. Managing Director Omar Sultan said in a statement, The establishment of Accelerate UH represents an exciting new initiative, sending a strong signal about the quality and interest in commercialization at UH. The center will be an integral part of the development of UH innovation.
0: Well, this is uh you know very encouraging because you know we 're seeing a lot more of these accelerators uh, pop up with uh, with uh, like the blue startups and the one on uh, the big island doing more creative industries mm-hmm. and uh, I think one on one on Maui and I think there 's also some talk about a uh, health accelerator, but this one is really geared around u h because everybody who is a part of this has to have some connection with u h They either have to be a student, a professor. Uh, they could have some IP that's, uh, you know, from UH. Right. So it's very UH-centric.
1: Well, but yet it's interesting because it is not limited to it in the sense that, like, LiveSift, they were related or uh, presented with uh, Blue Startups as well. We had them on the show. Smart Tummy we had on the show as well. So I can see a lot of um, collaboration, a lot of crossover, and mm-hmm, I think that's mm-hmm. definitely a good thing. The board members of Accelerate UH are are pretty, you know, recognizable names. Barry Weinman, Jim Lally, they're both Silicon Valley venture capitalists. You have the Central Pacific Bank CEO, John Dean. And uh, uh, Bill Mellon, who's the former CTO of Cisco. So uh, we'll probably be able to talk about this in greater detail. Yeah, I talked to
0: Omar, and Omar is uh, very interested in coming on the show uh, maybe later on in October, November, and talk about this program. And uh, they really have a plan to kind of keep in touch with all of these companies even after they graduate from the accelerator. So it's a good way to make sure that they all become successful. Absolutely. Quickly, we wanted to talk a little bit about Apple's new product announcements yesterday, which uh, have been dominating the tech headlines. Of course, you know, there's the iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus. And it's fascinating that my Facebook feed, apart from um, Android fans, and I like
1: Android as Mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. um, just being annoyed at it in general, most of the people I know are waffling between, do I want the regular size now, which is bigger already, or do I want the monstrous 6 Plus, the five and a half inch phone? And I'm finding even myself, I'm trying to talk myself into that Almost comically large, bigger version of the phone.
0: Well, I understand that, you know, if you're used to the 5, you know, it's sort of this size, but then once you get the bigger phone, you actually kind of get used to it. Mm-hmm. So, and if you ever were interested in maybe getting the iPad mini, I mean, this is just a little bit smaller, and, you know, it's probably it a good compromise.
1: Space. And uh, so, again, uh, f- uh, 4.7 inches for the new iPhone 6, mm-hmm. which is just a little larger, but I would say for, that's now kind of the standard size of phones. Most people feel the iPhone is small. I mean, I do know a lot of people that like it small, though. I mean, it fits in tight pockets. You can put it in your shirt pocket easily. A 5.5-inch 5. 5 phone is like a Pop-Tart. You know, it's not going <laughs> to—if I carried a man purse, maybe, it would Yeah, it would fit in your—you'd have to get a man purse just right. to carry that around. They also uh, announced Apple Pay, which is a NFC. C-based touch or touchless payment system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there have been other solutions out there. Google Wallet's been around for three years. Samsung had a couple of partnerships with certain merchants. The problem was that uh, both the carriers, like the Verizon, the AT&T, and the phone manufacturers wanted a cut of that money, so there was this kind of turf war going mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. And as usual, I think Apple will shift the industry by simply entering the marketplace with it. Um, and more importantly, they're saying that the difference is this is purely secure. We do not even touch your credit card information. It is secure on your phone. You can't hack it. And, in fact, we will never know where you went to buy anything, how much you spent on it. It's it's just between you and that company, and mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a big differentiating factor.
0: Now, what about this uh, I, uh, Apple Watch? Uh, it's uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> It looks like jewelry to me. It's kind of got the really sleek uh, appearance. It has uh, all kinds of different bands. Uh, The functionality looks pretty novel. It has all this capability of monitoring your activity as well as uh, your exercise and and giving you the ability to actually keep track of your exercise sort of plan. Well, the Achilles
1: heel of all these smartphones, and there were many, many, many announced just prior to Apple's announcement. And and it's true that for almost every category they enter, other companies rush to get their stuff out before Apple does because when they do, it pretty much ends that conversation. But battery life is an Achilles heel for a lot of these, and they are being very coy Coy saying yeah. how long it lasts because maybe you don't want to charge you know and the thing has Wi-Fi
0: day. and Bluetooth built into so it so
1: those signals will drain your battery. the other thing is it's $359 for the base model which is not A cheap gadget. So I I agree with what you said. I think the key thing for Apple is they're not going after the people who had the. Remember the Casio Mm -hmm. Data Bank? Oh, I got one. (laughs) The Microsoft Spot watches. Nerds like that stuff. And the nerds are looking at these watches going $350. It's too pretty. Forget it. It doesn't, you know. But I think they're going after the broader market people who wear uh, watches as jewelry, Movados or, you know, fancy watches.
0: And I think they're going to do a pretty good job. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, of course, now we have quick in the the studio, we have Helen Nakano from the Manoa community. Tell us about something that's really kind of cool. It's a community doing something called Be Ready Manoa, and it's a preparedness fair. fair, And we want to welcome Helen to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you
2: very much, Bert. I am so excited to be here because you told us all about how powerful social media is. And we are going to test you to see whether or not you get droves, thousands of people coming to (laughs) Disaster Preparedness Fair this Saturday, the 13th (laughs) from 9 to 2 at the Menorah Valley District Park and we challenge you. We are expecting maybe a thousand five hundred, so maybe for after this show we can expect two thousand five hundred Bert. No, I think you know <laughs> we will get the you a thousand.
0: Yeah, we will get you a thousand. But you know, I don't know, maybe if Ryan really kind of you know gets the word out we'll get <laughs> you. Right, that, right, we'll right.
1: all right, it. hold okay. on. So Helen, what is a be prepared fair? I would imagine from Bert's involvement with disaster preparedness and such, it's it's in that vein. Um what are the kinds of things, if I was interested in attending, what would I get to soak up at the Be Prepared Fair? Mm-hmm. Well, we first of all, we wanted a community buy-in, and we
2: got it. We have eight churches, Manoa churches. We have eight schools surrounding our valley and also seven community groups that are going to be at the fair in addition to all the experts, subject experts from the University of Hawaii, from uh, state, federal, city, international agencies and NGOs. So if you want to learn anything about how to get prepared, you know, come to the fair. And we're not limiting it only to Manoa residents. We want everybody involved because the more prepared you people are, the less you're going to expect um, from Manoa people.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you, um, I got a chance to, of course, uh, do a class for some of the people that are part of yes. your little community. Wonderful, and, and and there's a good mix of of expertise. Like you, Helen, you're a great organizer, and then I I know you have some ham radio folks on your committee. Absolutely. So so tell us, uh, what is it that really kind of brought this community together to really get people organized around being prepared for Manoa?
2: Well, it started because in um, November of last year, my son Greg Mm -hmm. um, worked for the National Disaster Preparedness Training Center, Mm -hmm. and he said... Why don't we get a FEMA course on community for community leaders and we'll hold it in Manoa? So we had about 40 people show up. And you know what? The one message we got was FEMA ain't coming to help us right away. And then we heard the city people say the same thing. We heard the state people say the same thing. And we looked at each other and said, Listen, we got to help ourselves. And that's how it started. And so it's less than a year, and now we're putting on this huge fair. I mean, it's huge. We have over 70 booths, and we have unmanned friendly drones coming. <laughs> friendly, and, very uh, good. Yeah, it's friendly <laughs> drones. And then we have uh, bomb detection robot demos. We're going to have um, supply... Um, border water supply, rain barrel catchment demos, we'll oh, have the cool. EMS, Salvation Army, water canteen. We're gonna have everybody who they all want us to learn about this mm-hmm. because they figure, okay, if Manoa people are prepared, then we don't have to bother.
1: To come and rescue them. (laughs) All right, Helen. So, where and when again, for those not just in Manoa who want to learn to be prepared, where is that? Right.
2: 1,000 more people will be coming (laughs) to our disaster preparedness fair, which is this Saturday. It starts at nine o'clock and to two o'clock. Now, at one o'clock, we are going to have our big grand prize drawing, and this is it Safeway Manoa and Coca Cola are giving away a week's worth of food and water for two people. And everybody will love it because there's lots of Spam, Vienna (laughs) sausage, (laughs) corned
1: beef hash. They'll love it. Sounds like a great prize. Sounds good. Thanks, Helen, for uh, coming on the show. Now joining us is Liberty Peralta. She's here to tell us about the uh, Kiki NŌ Awards program.
3: Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me.
0: Now you know Hikino we've uh, you know been familiar with that we've uh, actually had uh, uh Leslie Wilcox on the show talking mm. about the uh, the student sort of news network and and uh you know it's been going on for a little while now but this is an awards program that's not going to be on TV right it's going to be on the web mm-hmm. so tell us um about the awards program i know you guys had a screening about a couple of weeks ago but what is this awards program
3: so the hikino awards um recognizes outstanding student stories that aired on um our student news program mm-hmm. hikino mm-hmm. It airs every thursday nights at 7:30 on PBS away. it recognizes some of the more standout student news stories um, and actually we have a panel of local media veterans that are going to be deciding who the winners of the of the Hikino awards are going to be So the Hikino
1: network is basically a video production at at every at many many schools and they cover exactly. their own community issues right. so if it's the stream out back or if it's uh, if it was a uh, an evacuation because of pesticide spraying and they do a news story the students actually put this together so these segments were submitted for consideration um what uh, were some of the standouts for you, or for the awards that really I th- that you think um, uh, showed the excellence that this program can uh, foster?
3: There, are, I actually sat down and watched. Um, you know, I hosted a couple of these screenings that we had last month, uh, and it's it's difficult to pick just one sure, because sure. because a lot of them were really good stories. Um, ones that stick out to me right now, there was a story that Waipahu High School students did on uh, one of their classmates, Victoria Cuba. She's a homeless student and she's actually going on to college. Uh, she's she's uh, pursuing a program at UH West Oahu. Mm-hmm. Um, some other stories, there's one about overfishing that that Waianae High School did. Um, actually, they have several uh, entries in this, in this year's uh, awards program. Um, but yeah, the very special thing about these stories is that they're entirely student driven. the students decide (laughs) which, the students decide uh, which stories they want to, to report on. There's no influence from their teachers or from Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who make the call. And, um, the only, uh, time that we get involved is when we, um, review the drafts and we say, um, you know, I think technically this could be a little better. Maybe the audio is a little off. Uh, maybe there's an edit that can be tweaked here and there. But other than that, I mean, the the writing is, is all the students. So
0: when you talk about awards, are there a variety of different award categories?
3: But there are. There's eight different categories, uh, four in the middle school mm-hmm. division and yeah. four in the high school division. And actually, we have an elementary school that's entered this year. They're Kainalu Elementary, and they're being considered for the middle school category. Um, but uh, yeah, so there are eight different categories. So, best
1: overall news, best mm-hmm. news writing, personal profiles, and things like that. Right. Um, but the winners of the Hikino Awards have not yet been announced. So, uh, what's that process, and when will we find out who the winners are in these categories?
3: So uh, we've uh, put together a panel of local media veterans, and they are looking at every single story and rating them um, using a, a numbering system, mm-hmm. a score system. And that's how the winners will be determined. And um, we that process has not been completed yet, mm-hmm. and we, we will be announcing the winners next Wednesday on our website. Ah. PBS So
0: on the seventeenth, how does uh that work? I mean does do people go to what pbshawaii.org and, and what what will they see?
3: So they'll see it in our uh, our on our homepage. They can click on that link. It'll take them to uh it it runs on a platform that we call OV. Mm-hmm. Basically, it it shows a live stream of Leslie's going to be announcing the winners alongside Donna Tanoe. She's the Bank of Hawaii Foundation's uh, president and CEO. They're they're our single um, sponsor for the Hikino broadcasts, mm-hmm. but they're going to be announcing the winners through live stream. And what makes this special is that the schools, uh, the students, the any actually any participant that decides to join in this, they can. Um, while the live stream is going on, leave comments. And they'll be moderated, but um, they can leave comments. They can um, click emoticators. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically, if you want applause or Mm. like someone's comment, you can do that in in this little chat box that pops up.
1: And, of course, right now, before those announcements are made live on the web, you can go to pbsy.org and watch each of these segments. And, in fact, Mm -hmm. all of the programs that were broadcast, correct?
3: Correct. That's correct. Sounds good. So
0: what time does the actual live
3: cast start? It starts at 3 p.m. on Wednesday, sounds, next Wednesday. Oh, we'll good. watch
1: before the show yep. next Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks,
3: Liberty, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And
0: that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Jeff Mikulina and Robert Harris to talk about the recent uh, HECO filing as well as uh, sort of clean tech in the consumer Market in general.
1: Absolutely. Renewable energy is everywhere on homes and businesses. What does the what do the recommendations that HICO made mean for everyone in Hawaii? Of course we'd love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. So you can give us a call, nine four one three six eight nine, or reach us toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689.
0: And of course we're live in the studio. We're monitoring Twitter and I see some tweets coming in, so you can tweet us at BiteMarks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
4: It's a new economic model based on a very old one. The sharing economy movement is a kind of return to barter. It's represented as a solution to worldwide resource depletion that can create new models for the development of wealth. We'll talk with one of the organizers of ShareFest Honolulu tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation.
5: Say you stumble on a big pile of trash. The mother load. The biggest pile you've ever seen, and you think, what would happen
0: if I dug up all that trash, cleaned off the mud with the help of a brush?
5: What would I find?
6: A letter. A letter.
5: Lost sayings of Jesus. A
4: cow. The number of the beast.
6: Genghis Khan. Big, bold, muscular men.
5: This week on Radio Lab, we take dumpster diving to a whole new level. Saturday morning at
0: ten. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Jeff Mikulina and Robert Harris. Jeff is the Executive Director of Blue Planet Foundation, a local nonprofit organization committed to clearing the path for clean energy.
1: Robert, meanwhile, was the director of the Sierra Club from 2008 until May of this year and ran un- successfully for House of Representatives District 48. He'll be starting work next week, Monday, in fact, as the director of public
0: policy for Sunrun. And how has Hawaii kept up with the demand the for clean energy solutions? We'd love to hear your questions and comments. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or... 877 from the Neighbor Islands. Jeff and Robert, we want to welcome you both to Bike Marks Cafe.
5: Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, uh, you know, we've uh, kind of been kind of keeping an eye on some of the clean energy activities going on. And, uh, you know, the state is, has um, made a uh, objective of uh, being 70% clean energy uh, by 2030. And, and I know, Jeff, you guys, Blue Planet Foundation has been very active in advocating for... Uh, meeting a, a lot of these goals, and um, I kind of want to get a sense of from you, like what uh, over the course of the last couple of years, because I think the, the solar industry has really sort of taken off from the consumer side, right? And and with all the tax incentives and the credits, and um, people's interest in in being um, sort of proactive about clean energy, it's really taken off. I mean, in terms of getting solar installed, now what is that? What does that really mean in terms of sort of the overall grid and how does that interplay with, you know, the existing um, um, HICO sort of uh, distribution of power? But I know that's a big question. I know that's a big question. So I guess maybe start with how has the adoption of solar taken off in Hawaii?
7: Well, just to put it in terms that uh, folks can understand, we've essentially added a, n- a new power plant uh, every half hour in the past uh, three to four years on people's rooftops. So, you know, whereas the century before, mm-hmm, right. you know, maybe one every uh, decade or so, and one every half hour. Uh, and these are, you know, local folks powering their lives with the sun, um, clean, renewable, indigenous power. And it's exciting people taking control of their energy situation uh, with panels on their own rooftop so it's a, a complete transformation of how we how we generate and use power uh, in Hawaii, but you're right it does um, require a different sort of system to make this work
0: right so in in very simplistic terms right I mean you talk about a, uh, a power plant going up every you know every day and that's somebody putting up a, a solar panel on their house and they're generating power they're fueling or uh, uh providing electricity to all the you know utilities um that they have inside the house when they're not using that utility or using the you know let's say um washing machine or oven or whatever that electricity goes back out somewhere right
7: and that, where does that where does that go? That's right. Probably to your neighbor's house. Uh, it's a very participatory, you know, sharing mm-hmm, sort mm-hmm. of uh, electrons are electrons. Uh, they don't discriminate. Um, but it, it's, it, you know, akin to what happened in, in the 1960s with, uh, you know, entertainment or, uh, uh, you know, communications technology where you turned on your old box TV set and you got one of the three networks and you couldn't store it. You just had to watch what they were feeding you at the time. And you fast forward to today and – you know, it's a completely different environment where we can all, you know, contribute. Um, you know, our own tweets or or uh, Facebook or w- what have you. Uh, you can store the information. Um, It's a completely different network than the one-way system we had in the 1960s. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, Robert, with your history with the Sierra Club on the environmental side, certainly you can see the appeal of the environmental benefits of more alternative energy. But then with your new role with Sunrun, a solar installer on the business or private sector side, there are other challenges uh, that need to be addressed. Um, We will get to the HECO filing recently, which we covered on our show when it was made. But um, from your perspective, I think – uh, you know, as Jeff is saying, there was this explosion in solar rooftop solar, but in many ways, people say the, there's been brakes applied because they've run up against kind of uh, the impression, at least, of capacity restrictions that. Because more and more people are putting solar on their roof, um, the grid, the fundamental grid, the uh, I would say the basic infrastructure, uh, needs time to adapt. So uh, can you give me a sense of what that was like? I mean, I basically know people who've been waiting for their solar power systems. They've got them installed, but they can't turn them on. And I just hear that more and more often.
5: Yeah, absolutely. You know, let me just put in broad context and maybe just echo off of what Jeff said. Uh, renewable energy is now the cheapest form of electricity, I believe, in eighty percent of the United States, and clearly that's true in Hawaii. And that's only going to accelerate; it's only going to get faster, particularly as these new technologies start to aggregate. We're building more and more of them, and so we could foresee, you know, in the very near future, a situation where you know we're completely off fossil fuels simply because of sheer economics, regardless of environmental, regardless of other things. It's the cheapest form of electricity. And that's in part why the market's been moving so quickly in Hawaii. You know, we have the you know highest rates of electricity in the United States, and so this cheaper option is very attractive. That's why 11 percent now of Heco customers have made the transition, and and it's only going to continue. And that's a good thing. I mean, lower you know rates. It's creating jobs here. Uh, it's beneficial. The problem that's been happening is. Uh, there have been limits in certain circuits where people are told you have to wait until either tests are done or until improvements are made to the grid. And in some circuits, there really is no uh, current plan to address that situation. And, you know, clearly this problem is one that is technical. It's one that's economic and one that's policy-based. And in part, you know, the, you know to cut to the chase – It really is a different business plan for the utility, and we have to sort of strive to resolve some of those different issues to get to the future market, which, you know, future situation, which even HECO recognizes that increasingly our power is going to be coming from rooftop solar distributed generation. And so trying to achieve those is is sort of what has to happen. Um, I would submit I think the technical problems may be overblown today. It's not to say there aren't going to be technical problems or there aren't going to be in the future, and we have to clearly start to try and resolve those and you know some of it you know we well I'm sure we'll dive into those in, in a lot more detail um, but clearly these are customers these are neighbors, these are friends, customers of hiCOs that do have to be serviced I mean remember hiCO exists uh, or has its franchise, its ability to operate, and that it services all customers, whether they use a lot of electricity or not very much at all. Right, right. So when you have, uh,
0: let's say, this growing capacity that's that's being delivered by solar and you have a, uh, a traditional electric company that has been distributing power via uh, fossil fuel and and as, as the alternatives start to continue to grow... Um, where does the balance i guess get arrived at in terms of are the people that have solar on their rooftop are they actually just having it provide them a benefit or do they actually benefit the the larger community as a whole by providing this alternative clean source
5: so plainly um solar customers currently put on excess energy you know actually sometimes a significant amount that's beneficial and going forward we can really look at uh, solar customers as part of the solution mm-hmm. you know, to the extent that they start to incorporate storage in uh, and accompanied by sort of demand response, uh, essentially a communication between the utility and the solar customer where you know that battery or storage system uh, can actually store electricity when there's too much in the grid or put it back out when they need excess. And so it becomes a service that each customer is providing Uh, to the utility and on the whole. And it really becomes kind of a model where the solar customer is a part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just need to make sure that we have the economic and policy levers kind of aligned to encourage that behavior and to make sure that's beneficial. We're talking to Jeff Mikulina from the Blue Planet Foundation and Robert Harris, newly
1: of Sunrun, about renewable energy in Hawaii and, of course, its impact and potential for HICO and utilities. If you've got a comment or question, you can give us a call at 941 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We're also listening on Twitter. Now, before we go too far, Jeff, I wanted to get your take or your summary, perhaps, because it was a large, large document that HECO filed a few weeks ago which was their response to the Public Utilities Commission's demand that they have a better plan for incorporating more renewable energy, for lowering costs for customers and such. Um, And I would imagine by this time your organization, which focuses on policy, had a little time to digest that massive document. Um, How can you uh, make it more
7: digestible for us? You you know, Ryan, it was only 1,700 pages. Only? Okay. um, That's that's fine. uh, you know, in, in summary, you're right. The, the Public Utilities Commission asked the utility to not only, you know, provide this plan for, um, you know, the next 15 years or so, but they asked at a, at a fundamental level, what was their business model? What, you know, how are they going to be sustainable in this, um, facing this disruptive challenge mm-hmm. of, you know, not only solar, but also, uh, you know, decreasing demand for energy? So after a century, we're actually using less per capita. Um, things like electric vehicles and, and other opportunities. How do they, you know, how are they going to operate this company in this new, uh, new landscape. Um, they did some things right. In, in the plan that came out, they talked about retiring some of the larger fossil fuel power plants, the Cahe Power Plant, which turns 50 years old this year, the one out in the Waianae Coast by Electric Peach. Folks are familiar with that. The diving might not be so good when they retire that in 2022, but it's good for all of us. It's the largest single source of carbon dioxide in the state, uh, retiring a few other fossil fuel units. Um, they also, you know, acknowledged that clean renewable energy is a more stable choice, and they'd prefer... To Choose that you know going forward, uh, but that said you know we do think that they uh, they missed some opportunities in this plan, and, and the big one was fundamentally redefining uh, the role of the utility going forward. are they still in this? A business of providing a commodity as they have for mm-hmm. you know 120 years where they'd like to sell electricity. And one uh, in the, more of the services business where they serve as that network operator and, and integrator where they're agnostic as to where the energy comes from, but they just want to be in the business of moving electrons around and, and providing service. Um, think of AT&T. You know, if, you want to, um, if you were talking about leaving the grid because you have home energy storage, if AT&T was your provider, they'd bend over backwards to keep you on, the, on, on their grid. Um, and this is what we, you know, hope that the utility would see and, and you know, re- and revision themselves as this new provider uh, of energy services. So, Jeff, let me ask you, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry I did not do
1: my homework, 1,700 pages, a little too much for me to necessarily get into. I did read the executive summary and, uh, and some of the notes, and I could not wrap my head around how a utility can say that we have decreasing demand, increasing supply, and we're going to lower the cost to customers. I mean, it just didn't. I I couldn't figure out how they would uh, explain that or rationalize it or what that plan is. is. That basically what you're saying that fundamentally they couldn't uh, they couldn't answer that kind of a question, that fundamental question.
7: You know, to that, that point, I mean, those were the headlines. And sometimes you have to compare the headlines to the actual uh, meat of Ah, loaded. okay. Um, and they do take some, I think there's some kind of cognitive leaps there when you look at exactly where some of that savings comes from. Some of it, it it's genuine savings as we have a more efficient modern grid. Um, we'll be able to wring out some efficiencies in the overall system. Uh, the second place um, is clean energy is a more stable, uh, lower cost energy source in the future than than any fossil fuel um, we know that's finite. We're dependent on somewhere else. Um, y- we know what the price of oil has done to gasoline and electricity sales. Um, but the third spot they're looking at is um, importing large amounts of, you know, industrial gas, uh, liquefied L-L-G. natural mm-hmm. gas. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, you know, they they have a price estimate for that over the next twenty years. Um, and we think there there's some surprises in that. I mean, that, that's a lot to hinge uh, your plan um, your plan on.
0: So the the, uh, liquefied natural gas, does that that sort of uh, continue to maintain a traditional sort of model for distribution of energy? Uh, And and I, I know that there's this whole discussion about decoupling and, you know, how the utility becomes more of a distribution mechanism as opposed to a production mechanism. But does the LNG sort of, you know, bring it back into a more of a production mode than than uh, you know going the the distribution route.
7: It, it really does. Uh, it, it does depend on how you do it, though. And, uh-huh. and unfortunately, how they were envisioning is uh, let's swap out oil for uh, natural gas mm-hmm. in our big power plants um, as we scale them back. You know, a different sort of plan would be how do we maximize renewables? How do we maximize opportunities for folks to have customer choice and, uh, you know, maybe do solar on their homes? And then they can fill in the rest with really flexible generation that helps accommodate some of this renewable energy as opposed to looking at the other way Mm -hmm. of how do we just put a different fuel in? You know, we're not going to solve our fossil fuel problem with another fossil fuel. Mm -hmm. Robert? And let me emphasize, um, you know, this
5: technology is changing quickly and the price is dropping so fast that we have to be cautious and investing a lot of money in infrastructure that five years from now may be obsolete. Uh, Just a few months ago, Texas got 38 percent of its power from wind, not because Texas is a particularly green or liberal state. It's because it's the cheapest form of electricity Um, going forward. uh, You know, that is only going to be more and more so true as these – you know, products are being built more and more. They're building, being built to scale. And so here in Hawaii in particular, uh, you know, five years from now, you know, the price of solar and the price of these different things may have dropped so much that the role for, uh, you know, a fossil fuel plant, the traditional big plant, is going to be increasingly uh, more obsolete. I mean, the modern trend is to a advanced grid where you have thousands of different power sources. You know, the neighbor down the street has a little wind farm, mm-hmm. and you have a solar plant, and your know, power's moving both ways. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, In part, trying to overly rely on LNG, the current prices for LNG, uh, you know, could be short-sighted, right, because, you know, those prices are likely to only go up. Whereas the prices of these other technologies are only going to go down.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking to uh, Robert Harris uh, recently of, of Sunrun and formerly of uh, the Sierra Club, and we're talking to also uh, Jeff Mikulina from Blue Planet Foundation. We're talking about clean energy and how the uh, landscape for distribution and production is is vast, quickly changing. If you have a comment or question, you can give us a call here. Number is nine four one three six eight nine on Oahu or eight seven seven. Nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome Marty from Kailua to Bite Marks Cafe.
4: Yeah, um, I have a comment on some uh, a, a previous statement. Um, I guess you were, uh, one of the questions you asked was uh, whether or not uh, having uh, solar on the roof would benefit uh, the customers who don't have solar and uh, I wanted to uh, bring up the point that uh, in fact, uh, there are some disadvantages to the customers, uh, mainly in the the price of electricity. For every solar installation that goes on, it increases the price for everybody else, um, uh, you know, a little bit. And that and that has to do with the uh, the way that they uh, um, price, you know, the the energy, and they don't have a time of use um, type of pricing schedule and. Until Heco adopts um, the time of use, so uh, when, so say for example, when electricity is being generated from solar, the cost of electricity should go down because the demand is lower. And then when you're using the energy at uh, peak hours, the price per kilowatt hour should go up. And I, I, th- I think you kind of simplified it by saying there is a, uh, you know, the good you know in having solar for everybody, but.
0: You so you're you're saying that, uh, that yeah so the price of solar might be uh misrepresented because it it doesn't really take into consideration peak or or not off peak. Uh maybe Robert you want to comment on that?
5: Sure. sure. I I I, th- I think there are think two there. issues here. Uh you know first um uh there is the uh fixed kinds of costs that the utility has, right? Uh core costs that don't change. And plainly uh, that fixed rate should be fair for everyone, right? So, a solar customer should be paying uh, just as much as a you know person who uses very little electricity. Uh, that fixed cost should be sort of factored in for everyone, like uniquely you know across the board. And currently, all customers pay about seventeen dollars. Uh, using Hico's annual report, and uh, it's just purely using Hico's numbers, you know, I think that cost should be about twenty-five dollars. Um, so that would be the fixed charge to everyone. The second issue, time of use. I mean, I think it's a very fair one. I know Jeff's going to want to jump in on this too. Um, not every electron is, is costs the same. You know, some electrons are more expensive than others. Mm-hmm. And, and and quite, uh, time of use is a great policy where you basically charge a little bit more for those expensive electrons and you, you reduce the price of the cheaper electrons. We have a time of use program right now for electric vehicle owners. I'm on that program. So, for example... Uh, it's very cheap to use electricity late at night when there's a lot more power available, and it. it's a great program. Uh, lots of other states do it, and it's clearly something Hawaii should be really looking at to try and shift load around to make it more fair and, and, and better for the system.
7: And mm-hmm. yeah, I totally agree. And, Marty, you really nailed it by mentioning time-of-use rates because that's one of the things that's, that's lacking today, that economic incentive to, to get people to change behavior. Um, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon when we have all of this solar uh, dumping onto the system, that's great. We should price it as such. Uh, And then at night during that peak time, um, you know, maybe it needs to be a higher rate if it's coming from from fossil fuel. The thing I don't want to lose in the conversation, though, is um, Robert mentioned not all electrons are created equal. And there's some other prices that we historically haven't really assigned to uh, electricity. And that's, you know, that that electron coming from solar is um, not – changing the climate like the one that's coming from coal is. And and we need to somehow integrate those costs into the equation. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Very good. So we've got a a bunch of callers uh, waiting in queue, but we want to take a quick break. We'll be right after this uh, short break to continue our conversation with both Jeff Mikulina and, Uh, Robert Harris, and we're talking about uh, the state's clean energy goals and and where we're going with uh, consumer clean tech.
1: If you'd like to join the conversation as well, you can call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. We've also got a question by email. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
4: In the 1960s, the American South underwent a dramatic political reversal from being solidly Democratic to overwhelmingly Republican.
7: Conservative Democrats decided to leave the Democratic Party because they didn't want to compete for power with African Americans, that they had essentially always politically suppressed. I'm
5: Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason. Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii
4: Public Radio.
1: Hello, this is Gene Schiller, HPR's music director. One of my great joys is selecting music for morning cafe or Sunday brunch that will take you on an imaginative journey— After all, as Einstein said, imagination is the true sign of intelligence, and we know our audiences to be a pretty smart bunch. So do the smart thing. Before our upcoming pledge drive, give early. It'll bring us back to uninterrupted classical music programming all the sooner. Imagine that, and thanks.
0: Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum.
1: And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Jeff Mikulina and Robert Harris about the evolving clean energy landscape.
0: And what is the balance between clean energy industry and a traditional electric utility? Of course, you can give us a call. The number here is on Oahu or 877 941 from the neighbor islands. We've got a bunch of calls queued up, so we want to welcome Gary from Kailua to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show.
6: Yeah, welcome. Uh, Thank you. Uh, My question or consideration is um, whether uh, nowadays we should even have uh, a single uh, for-profit company be running our electrical grid system here in the islands because they have to uh, um, support the shareholders and and may not always be doing what's best for the whole state community as a whole. And... uh,
0: so, Gary, are you are you suggesting that it be a nonprofit or a government uh, agency? What's your What's your thought on that?
6: Well, my thought my thought is is that we don't really need, we only need like the EPA to watch out for our air because we don't need a delivery system. There we breathe. Uh, Board of Water Supply takes care of our water. They make sure that we have water. They're not doing it for profit. Um, we have, we're pretty good on food. we got locally grown food and mainland food and a lot of competitors, but we have this one single for-profit company running our electric system that we depend so highly on with everything so computerized and, and, uh, personal computers, phones and everything that we almost are paralyzed without it. I was just thinking that, uh, maybe we should just consider a whole new way of, of making sure that we take care of this climate change uh, situation our independence and everything else uh and I think we could move forward faster. All okay. right well,
0: Gary thanks for the question and uh you know everybody's pointing to uh <laughs> Jeff to answer that one Jeff uh, what what do you think
6: I is mean, a
1: single
0: I- utility a
7: profit model um the 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 best model. Yeah, Gary that's a great question I think it, it- it's fair to really look at and, and dig into um, – I mean, the challenge is Wine Electric does sort of serve two masters. They have their shareholders uh, that they need to, you know, please on a daily basis. Then they have the customers, and they are a public utility, and, and they were formed um, as a, you know, monopoly, a vertically integrated monopoly uh, over 100 years ago because, you know, it makes sense in islands, right? I mean, we don't want to have two sets of wires strung everywhere, Um so, I think it's fair to look at those different models. Kauai has a cooperative model where um, they just serve their members who buy electricity if they you know get the price wrong they actually send them a, a dividend check um, patronage check um, you know and here, I think there are, there are ways to structure it um, where they actually can align the interests of the, the, the shareholders with the interests of the customers mm-hmm. and the p u c is going through um Something kind of complex called the the decoupling review docket where they're looking at that kind of compensation mechanism and, and how do we best align, you know, the utility's real economic interests with customer interests. Uh, and there are ways to do that, performance incentive uh, um, Uh, mechanisms, things like, you know, do we measure their performance against how how many solar systems they plug in or how much clean energy they use or how much they reduce rates, how efficient they run the system. Uh, Those are probably far better metrics than just rewarding them and how much electricity that they sell. So
0: what do you think was the thing that really turned the Kauai utility into a cooperative? um, You know, what was the trigger point that, that made that happen? And is that likely to happen on Oahu or the other neighbor islands?
7: Again, I think it needs to be thrown into the pot in discussion. Um, Hawaiian Electric has been, you know, running the show for 125 years um, and built on this model of increasing revenue, increasing sales. and Now it's all changing. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it warrants looking at a different model. But with this current model, there are ways uh, we think to to align those interests. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, We're talking to uh, Jeff Michalina from Blue Planet Foundation, of course, formerly of Sierra Club, and Robert Harris, also formerly of Sierra Club, and now with Sunrun, and uh, we're talking about clean energy. Of course, uh, you can give us a call here at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. We want to welcome Rosemary from Kihei to Bite Mark's Cafe. Welcome to the show.
4: Hi. Okay, great program. Yeah, my question is... I recently found out that the per-kilowatt cost for fossil fuel electricity provided by HECO is $0.38. That's what I heard. And the average nationally is $0.07. And so my question is, how does HECO justify that? And I'm really um, quite interested in the comments about finding out about Kauai's cooperative um, on uh, distribution of, you know, electricity in the county.
5: All right. Um, uh, Robert, how about about you take that one? Sure. Well, let me address the cooperative question, and let me take a step backwards, uh, a step back. Um, If you look at the utility model in general, you know, nationally, they generally have been encouraged to be cautious, conservative. uh, You know, you don't want a utility to invest, uh, say, a billion dollars in some risky venture, and, you know, that Prices or that you know that expense is just passed on to the customer without really thinking it through and, and and moving at a kind of slow plotting process and for a hundred years that's that's been fine. Uh, we suddenly have a disruptive technology and we have a situation where suddenly uh, the utilities put in a situation where they have to be nimble, innovative, flexible, um, and so. And in part, it really comes down to sort of a leadership mentality. You know, having that plan, uh, having. You know, Steve Jobs, for lack of a better, you know, analogy, you know, kind of coming in and saying, all right, this is what we're going to do and and being able to visualize what what the process for it is. And so certainly adding in the co-op and different kinds of things is certainly worth putting in the pot. Um, I think, you know, right now, I think what the PUC is most interested, the Public Utilities Commission is most interested in doing is trying to align those levers right where the economic, the policy levers Mm -hmm. are done in a way where there's an incentive to kind of move in the right direction. And you know, again, if if they're failing, because, again, their customers include both solar and non-solar customers, and if they're not servicing those customers, there's a failure. And, you know, as a regulated entity, then, of course, you know, there's there's consequences right. to that. So how do you service customers? Um, Hawaii, in general, uh, all islands pay about two to – it's pretty clearly three times the national average for electricity. Uh, in part, that's because of our over-reliance. Uh, on a single source of electricity with, or energy, which is uh, imported oil. Um, and, you know, it's much more expensive. Nobody else uh, in the country relies even remotely closely to the expensive oil that we import in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, I don't think there's been a lot of incentives for the utility to try and drive down those prices. Um, they, You know, their fossil fuel costs, their charges just get passed straight to the customer. So they right. don't really have an interest level in that until recently where it really has become uh, – a lot more noticeable when you have a cheaper technology like solar coming along, where all of a sudden this is front and center in mind. Um, that was a long way of saying, you know, you, know, you know, in part it's just a failure of planning. And so in general, going forward, we really want to have that diversity and we really want to focus on what we think is going to be long-term, stable, uh, cheaper, and, and, and clearly right now that's rooftop solar and mm-hmm. that's why it's been growing so fast.
0: Well, we want to thank Rosemary for uh, calling that in. And, of course, we want to welcome Jan from the Big Island to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show.
4: Uh, thank you. Um, I also was um, wanting to weigh in on the comment about um, the tension between serving the customer and also serving the stockholders, which seems to be serving two masters that don't necessarily um, have the same interest in mind. But I'm also curious, um, since the, that question has been addressed so far um, to a certain extent, of uh, what, a, what about other alternative energy besides solar? Um, you know, we have quite a bit of wind power over here and um, was just wondering if there was any other considerations besides solar.
1: Excellent question. That's and the Big question. Island is certainly home to that geothermal happening geothermal, there as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: Got a question about geothermal.
1: So, Jeff, uh, how, how, how about that um, wider, uh, shall we say, portfolio
7: of renewable energies? How does that fit into what we're talking about here? Right. I think portfolio is the key word. Uh, we're going to power our future with uh, uh, everything that uh, nature provides Hawaii in abundance um, Solar, for sure, and I, I know Robert likes talking about the uh, the surveys where, you know, when you look at the different alternative energies, people love solar. I think mm-hmm, they get it. Mm-hmm. They understand it. Hawaii, our latitude, <laughs> we know solar. Uh, we also have trade winds, though, um, and, you know, they, all these things come with trade-offs, um, some pushback from some of the larger uh, wind farms, but that's cheap, reliable, clean power um, that's homegrown. Uh, similarly with uh, biomass, and we have some, some of that uh, in Hawaii, and we could... We can expand that um, if we do it, again, in a smart way. Um, geothermal, again, it has to have community acceptance, but that's a great resource on Big Island, maybe even Maui. Um, we have hydroelectric that's been operating uh, for over a century, in fact. The first power plant uh, on, in Honolulu was up uh, Wanu. Nuuanu. Um, uh, so we, we really have everything and some stuff on the horizon, maybe uh, wave, you know, energy. wave energy, mm-hmm. like what they have in uh, Kaneohe Bay uh, today. Uh, and then maybe OTEC and some things, dilithium crystals, stuff we haven't even thought of yet. <laughs> ah, I like
1: that. But but what you're saying, and I think it is reasonable to say, is geothermal has its ups and downs and in infrastructure issues, community issues. Same thing with wave energy and buoys out in the water. Um, solar is something that is not only uh, accessible and practical from a grand scale but
7: also easily processed by a citizen, and a citizen can play a role with solar. That's what's so exciting about it. You know, it's scalable. Uh, it's something you can put on your rooftop unlike maybe geothermal <laughs> or, uh, you know, wave energy. Um, and it, and there's just this attraction of it being silent, no moving parts. Um, you know, it takes eight minutes for the sun to get the sunlight to get here. Uh, it's a pretty remarkable um, uh, technology.
0: You know, in the uh, few minutes that we have left, I still want to say have you guys say something about the green button. But before we get to the green button, uh, we have another caller, D from Kona. From uh, I want to welcome D from uh, Kona to uh, Bite Mark's Cafe.
4: Aloha. So first and foremost, you guys, I want to thank you so much for having this program and being there. Um, like we're over here on the Big Island, so we're off the grid. So it's really simple for us. I know it's not simple when it comes to a big place like Oahu, but for me, it's pretty simple when you recognize that we have green energy, which is renewable. And so the more we use that we still have our oil and the more we use of the green energy, the more oil we'll have in the future if we actually need it, you know, during a storm or something like that. But once again, mahalo very much, you guys, for having the program because, you know, we have to get on the right path in regards to our planet.
1: Well, thank you. Thank and Thanks you. for your call. It's yeah. always good to hear from someone off the grid. I did want to mention uh, listener Stanford who emailed and said, uh, you know, that we should preserve our uh, our uh, fossil fuels for an emergency because if we become dependent on wind and solar and then we have a hurricane destroy that infrastructure, then maybe we do it the other way and the fossil fuels kind of become the backup.
0: Now I'm curious, you know, with all the um, potential for the alternatives via this portfolio, uh, is it is it a tough thing for the electric utility to really deal with the quick moving sort of disruption? In 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 choices and and having you know sort of this hundred year tradition, I mean, I kind of sympathize with them, being that you know it is a, a pretty complex uh, uh, puzzle to solve.
7: It completely, and we, and we should have said it the outright. <laughs> they don't have an easy task ahead of them at all. Uh, even running the grid with fossil uh, power plants, mm-hmm. it's it's rocket science. It's it's difficult. It's a complex system. This is adding um, magnitudes of complexity when you have tens of thousands of power plants out there, add to that electric vehicles, which potentially have the way of providing two-way power and storing some energy, and it's a very, very complex challenge. But that's where their business can be, is solving that, ch- that challenge mm-hmm. and making money, on, you know, energy flowing one way and the other and providing those services.
0: Now, you know, when, um, when we started the show, we talked about all the people putting solar on top of the rooftops as being potential power plants. And being that it's a it is a complex story, uh you know this idea of the green button being uh being available being able to access sort of your uh data with regard to energy, and the data would be whatever you're producing whatever the the um, uh, electric utility is producing, and maybe having the algorithms that take that data and make it uh, better understandable and usable for the consumer, do you see that as being something that would be? Uh, let's say, beneficial to this community, uh, the green button? <laughs> uh,
5: plainly, moving forward, I mean, customers are increasingly wanting to uh, have control. I mean, referencing, you know, Apple, for example, the Apple HomeKit, uh, you know, in fact, the ability to really control what you use, you don't use, and having that, you know, directly available to the customer is a key point in moving forward. And I think really trying to view the individual customer as a part of the solution and giving them control of that data Giving them a control, knowing you know when electrons are more expensive and and less so, so they can make that a part of the solution is really where we have to move forward. Yeah. I agree completely, Jeff. This is not uh, easy or simple. Um, on the other hand, it's it's absolutely necessary and critical. And frankly, the market is moving in that direction regardless. So you know, it's sort of a get with it or potentially, uh, you know. Be passed by, um, kind of situation.
1: Uh, and to the green button, I do want to say that I mean I think the accessibility of information is key. We were part of a Hawaii Energy pilot where we could see how much energy we're using, and that changed my mom's behavior. She would go turn off light. She would like don't run the don't run those two things at the same time. And I can even see as a community, instead of having the clock on the side of the building, a score as you're getting off the freeway to say, hey, today was an uh, A plus day because we did so well in this community. So uh, I definitely want to see that develop.
0: So where can people sort of find out what you guys are doing and, and how they can keep up with, you know, sort of this changing
7: environment for uh, for clean energy. You know, I just want to play off something Ryan just said. Um, if I can plug it, sure. uh, islandpulse.org, islandpulse.org. You can see the real-time energy use on this island. Mm, uh, island Pulse. And it shows the generation mix as well, so uh, check that out. We have some kiosks we want to put in conspicuous places to help people understand this, this energy consumption and the role we play in it. Great.
5: Uh, so for more information, uh, obviously sunrun.com, but uh, in addition, there's the Alliance for Solar Choice, which is uh, a series of different solar companies have been involved in this policy setting. If you Google it, you'll find it quickly.
0: All right. Sounds very good. Thanks. Uh, Jeff Mukolina is the executive director of Blue Planet Foundation, and Robert Harris is uh, recently uh, going to join, I guess, the Sunrun coming up uh, on Monday and, of course, formerly of uh, Sierra Club. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Bert.
1: And thanks for having us. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about the Creative Industry Accelerator Program.
0: And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on Bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions... Email us at Feedback at Bytemarks.org Of course you can Find us on Twitter I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me
1: At Hawaii Our engineer is David Chong And our executive producer Is Beth Ann Kozlovich
0: And we leave you With our song pick Of the week Thanks to Apple Here's you too With a song called Every Breaking Wave See you next week On another edition Of Byte Marks Cafe When to